stay standing, please. Let's pray for a minute. God, what amazing words. As we've been in a series, I've been blown away as you've expressed through Paul to Timothy the power of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, and we just sing about that. I just thank you so much for the opportunity for each one of us to experience your grace today, to know you, that you made it possible that every one of us in this room, no matter what we've done or where we've been, no matter how high we can jump as far as gaining approval, that you said none of that matters and that we can come to you and that you offer us your love, you offer us yourself. Father, I pray now that as we talk more today about the encouragement that we can have because of the fact that Jesus Christ not only died, but that he rose from the dead, that each one of us would embrace the courage that we can gain from that statement, the truth that Jesus is alive. He's alive in us, and he wants to carry us. We just thank you, Jesus. God, I want to take a moment and pray for everyone who's affected by the fire right now, the one in our community specifically. And Lord, I know that some in our church had to be evacuated and uh, are not in their homes right now, at least as of this morning. I want to pray for your hand to be protect your hand of protection over them. And it may sound hard, not so much over their stuff, but over their lives. Things that really matter. And God, I pray that you would just help them as they try to figure out and go back and what that's like. And Lord, I want to pray now for the firefighters that you would protect them as they go uh, onto the front lines of this fire. You'd protect their lives, God. Lord, you provide. And Lord, if there's any way that those of us in this room, we know of someone who's been impacted, that today we would reach out, that we would offer help, offer a hand in some way that we would express the love of Jesus. And I pray now as we listen to you, that this wouldn't be just another day in church, but it would be a life changer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, you can have a seat now. That'd be great. I know that uh, at about, I don't know, it was about seven something this morning, I was able to log on my computer and actually watch the news. I love that. Um, and they were talking about the fire. So it's at that point, it seemed to be 5% controlled. And then they were saying that the winds were going to push it away from more populated areas, at least for today. So we just keep praying about that, about what might happen. And, and I know we get to you know live with some residual right now with the smoke. Uh, I'm just so glad that you're here today, and I believe that God wants to speak to each one of you. I believe he was just right now, he has you in mind, and he wants to talk to you today, because he wants to give you encouragement today. He wants to give you the ability to have courage and to move forward, and as we're going to talk about today, to have Endurance. So I'm going to invite everyone, if you grab this program, and inside are these message notes. If you go ahead and pull them out, and all the verses will be here, I'll use. In fact, I want to, there's some chance for you to take some notes today, so you might use this as well to do that. You can grab your Bible as well. Turn to 2 Timothy. We move out of chapter 1 as we're going verse by verse through 2 Timothy. We always do verse by verse teaching, almost primarily, but we you know, typically don't do a full book, and so we're doing that this summer. Uh, 2 Timothy, we're moving into chapter 2 today. And uh, I'm just so excited about this. Uh, I want to give a little background 
uh, for those of you who just might be your first time in this series, um, the book of the Bible that we're looking at, 2 Timothy, was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was the chief and primary extender called by God, extender of the church in the Gentile world, so it would be non-Jewish world. And he's ended up in prison as a result of talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's in a prison cell now, as we talked about last week, that's damp and it's dark and it's uh, cold and he's all alone. And as we're going to look at in a couple of weeks, he's actually sitting there awaiting his impending execution. He knows it's coming for talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, so you have to remember in context then that the words we're looking at, that these are the last words that Paul would ever write, the last words that he would speak to the church in its formation, time when, as they were looking at the church, and maybe he was even looking at it, in some ways it looks like maybe the wheels are falling off the bus and they're wondering what's going on, but he writes words of encouragement. And this letter he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, and Timothy is the pastor of a very strategic church in Ephesus. And he's writing to him to encourage him to hang on in this very tough time. He's writing Timothy to inspire him to be strong in face of a culture that's opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's opposed to the good news that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, came to live and then to die on our behalf, was resurrected from the dead, and now we can know God because of him. Now, that's what he's writing about, and he's writing to Timothy. And I just want to say this, apparently it worked. Uh, Apparently it worked. Uh, Because when you look at the history of Christianity, Christianity weathered the next 250 years of incredible persecution and darkness against the name of Jesus Christ. And they were able to survive, and not only survive, but thrive without resorting to violence or having any political power in any way. Thrive and survive without having to resort to violence or having any political power or sway in any way. And so I was thinking about this and thinking about us. If the things that Paul wrote inspired Timothy and then passed Timothy to the early church, then these words can inspire us as well. In fact, these words are for us today the things that we're facing. So today what I want to look at these verses and talk to us about a way that we can be encouraged to thrive, to survive and thrive in our circumstances as well. So let me remind you what Timothy was facing. We covered this last week. So if you weren't here last week, you'll want to go back and watch the service online. You can just log on, watch the service, and you can pick up on the things that we talked about. We covered three things that Timothy was facing. The first was, right on your notes, it says, facing external ridicule. So Uh, From outside the church, the people were saying, oh, you believe in Jesus, huh? The one that came as God, and then he died. Yeah, yeah, sure, right. And you know know that the culture didn't believe that God could actually die. And so they were being ridiculed externally because they believed in Jesus. He was facing internal opposition, uh, that there were leaders in the church because it says Timothy was young. And we know he was probably 30-ish, 
So he was young, and uh, Paul's in his 60s right now writing to him. And so uh, also, uh, internal opposition from people in the church who were saying that uh, as Paul's in prison, it's now their chance to have power plays for against Paul and say, well, Paul missed the boat. Paul didn't know what he was talking about. And here's really what the gospel is about. So he was facing all this internal opposition and pressure. And then added onto this, Timothy faced personal insecurity. Personal insecurity. He had fear. He had fear about who he was and what he was going through and what he was experiencing. And I was just thinking about how, for us today, how this message could be so relevant to us because there are some in this room and you may be facing ridicule and you may even say it's a form of persecution for your faith the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, even because you were in a church on a Sunday and you're facing that from a coworker or a family member or a neighbor or a friend or someone close. Some of you are facing the difficulty of living with a spouse who is against your faith and doesn't believe as you do. Some of you are facing the pain of a child who has disowned your faith and therefore disowned you because of your faith. And you're feeling the pain of the boundaries that have been put up between you and your child and you and your grandchild. Some of you, you've spoken out as the news has been full of all kinds of changes, definitions, violence. And you've spoken out about your faith and you've You've spoken out about the things of the, that are going on in culture, and you've talked about it from a faith perspective, and you're getting mocked for it, and, and you're getting ridiculed because that you would have a belief in a Bible and a God. Some of you, you're just feeling overwhelmed internally from the effort it requires to live a life set apart for God in a culture that's set against God. And that onset of pressure, and pressure seems to be wearing you down, and you feel fatigued because of that. Well, in this verse and this series, we've looked at this verse for three weeks now. I want to read it to you because it had so much impact on me this morning. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul's writing, and he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. Some of us need to hear that. That's not from God. But what God gives us is a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So I just want to say, please hear this. Whatever hardship that you are facing because that your belief in the good news of Jesus Christ, I believe that God wants to speak not in a milita militaristic way today, not in a coach, I'm going to pump you up kind of way, but I believe that God wants to speak to you tenderly today through the words of Paul, as he directs Timothy and then all of those who identify as followers of Jesus Christ, all of those are committed to him. He talks to us about how to endure, how to endure. Last week, we talked about how to have courage. And there are times when we need to stand up and have courage. And what happens is, is courage oftentimes is just for a moment. And then as another onslaught comes, we can rise up with courage again, but we get worn out over time. How do we endure over time? How do we become people who stand strong and stand firm? 
Last week, we also talked about the fact that Paul was encouraging Timothy to stand up for the good news. Stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was talking to Timothy. He was saying, you are given the message. You now have the message of Jesus Christ. I am passing on to you the mantle of authority. I'm passing on to you to the leadership of this church. And then he said last week, guard this message. Guard it. So he ends this chapter one with how to have courage. And now he moves into chapter two and he talks about how to have endurance. Have a stronger endurance. Because we will all face external ridicule. We will all face internal opposition. And we will all face personal security. And so this message is so relevant for every one of us. So let's just jump in. And what I want to do is I want to kind of break it down into three different parts today. These messages, we're going to look for verses 1 through 14 uh, as we go through this this morning. The first thing is this, is that Paul talks to Timothy and reminds him not to rely on himself, but to rely on grace. To rely on grace and not to rely on himself. Now, this is really key. I don't know about for you, but this is so key for me because one of the biggest biggest hindrances to endurance is believing that it's all up to me. It's just the belief that somehow I've got to work up enough energy, enough strength, enough faith, that it's all about what I am able to do and what I do. See, when you come to Jesus and you come to him and you say yes to his offer of forgiveness and cleansing and healing and renewal and purpose. When you say yes to Jesus Christ for those things, it's all about amazing grace, right? We're coming to him because of grace. It's not what we did. It's because of what he did for us in the cross, and that's why we loved, and last week we talked about grace so much. We love to sing the song, Amazing Grace. Grace so amazing that he would save a sinner, a sinner like me. And we get so stoked, and we get so thrilled about that grace. But what happens to many of us is that we end up shifting the focus from God's grace to our performance, from God's grace to our performance. And Paul warns Timothy about that, encourages him to rely on grace and not his own effort. So let's jump in with verse one. Timothy, I just imagine the tenderness in that. My dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So what Paul is calling Timothy to do is this. He says, let God make you stronger. And by, by the way, this is really helpful when you, know, you can go to commentaries or if you can actually understand uh, language that the Bible was actually written in. The New Testament was written in Greek, but commentaries can help in many ways as well to understand word choices and intenses. In this phrase, verse 1, Paul uses the present passive tense. And in the present passive tense, it means that here's something that's ongoing and you didn't do it, but it was done to you. You didn't do it, but it was done to you. So this verse that we've looked at right now could have been translated let yourself be strengthened by grace. Let yourself be strengthened by grace. It could have been translated this way. Be empowered and made stronger each moment by your reliance on God's grace. See, Paul is not saying here, here's my call to you today. Stand strong. 
He's not saying that at all. Instead, he's saying, receive strength. That's what he's saying to us. Receive God's strength. Now, we're going to talk about baseball in just a few moments, so I'll go ahead and use a baseball analogy here as well. Paul isn't saying, hit the ball. Paul's saying, be hit by the ball. Okay, so that's kind of what he's saying here. Don't hit the ball. It's not about you hitting it, but it's about you standing in front of it and letting it hit you because it's coming at you. See, this is not a do more letter. In case you're thinking that Paul only was talking about rules and regulations and everything that we should do as part of people in the faith, he wants Timothy to know that the only way to face the difficulties that he was in today And true for us as well, the only way to face the difficulties that we face today is to continually be filled with God's grace. Continually be filled by him. We are strengthened by God's grace. Paul's saying, you don't get stronger by trying harder. Not at all. Instead, relax, would you, and let God strengthen you. So I'm going to give you an example. Anybody in here like the band U2? Anybody like the band U2? Think about that. Okay, Vano is the lead singer of U2. And some of you may not know this, but Vano has been very upfront and vocal about his faith, and not just faith, in Jesus Christ. They've been very vocal about that. And because uh, when, nor- when reporters interview him, and it's not typically normal for them to talk to a rock star who has faith in Jesus Christ, uh, the interview almost always turns to his faith in Jesus. Now, I want to read you some words from an interview that was done by a reporter of one of these magazines. And this is what Bono said. Well, at the idea, well, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And yet along comes this idea of grace to upend it all, which in my case is very good news because I would be in very big trouble if the rules of karma were going to be my judge. That'd be all of us. We'd say it's true as well. He says, I am holding out for grace that Jesus Christ took my sins on the cross. And at this point, the reporter was moved and interrupted and said, I wish I could believe that. And Bono retorted back to him and said this, the point is, that Christ took on the sins of the world so that our sinful nature doesn't reap death. That's the point. It's not our good works that gets us through the gates of heaven. He goes on to say, but it is what motivates me to do all the good works that I do. Not that they are going to get me into heaven, but I'm motivated to do them because God has lavished his grace on me. That's why I do the things I do. And folks, when you and I comprehend and experience that kind of grace, it just fuels us with strength to endure. It's amazing what it can do in us. Now, for most people, grace becomes the means by which we get into heaven. God's amazing grace, the message of Jesus, and yes, I do get into heaven. I get my ticket into heaven. And that is true. And I will never make light of that. It's so critical and so important. But grace is also the means by which I live now. It's the means by the power by which I live in this life. The good news of God's grace lavished on me through Jesus is that I do get to go to heaven someday. But that's not the entire message. The good news about God's grace is the power that God gives me today to endure the circumstances and the difficulties I face now. And that's what Jesus offers us. 
And so what Paul says to Timothy in verse 2, he says, tell that story. We did a huge emphasis on this last week. Tell that story again and again. That's our story. The story is about grace. It's about what Jesus has done. Our world needs that story told over and over again. And let's keep telling that story, what he's done for us. So that's great, Ron. But how do I get filled with grace? It's really a mystery for some of us. You know, how do we do this? So I, I, the best way I can describe it is this. In order to be filled with grace, I need to open myself up to the source of grace regularly. If I'm going to be filled, relax, and let grace fill me, I need to open myself up to the source regularly. Now, you're going to hear me say something that if you've been coming to Twin Cities for any time at all, that you've heard me say regularly the entire time that we've existed. And the reason is, is that this is so important. You get filled by God's grace by reading the Bible. You get filled by God's grace by reading the Bible. You see, when I open this book, these are more than just words on a page. These are just more than an author writing words that can be read. When I open this book, I'm reading the literal words of God to me. It's his love letter to me. And so when I'm reading this, it's God speaking to me. He's talking to me about the grace he has for me. So when I open this book, I'm looking for grace. I'm looking for what he wants to infuse in me and how he wants to give me strength as I read this book. Secondly, you get filled by grace by learning to walk in relationship with Jesus. So as I know Jesus, I become more enthralled with him every day. Learning to walk in relationship with him so that as I get to know him personally in relationship, I become more enthralled with him every day. And this just takes, it's the day in, day out, relaxing. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. Show yourself to me today. Prayers that you pray where you're experiencing him so much so that you become enthralled with him and who he is. The third way you experience grace is you experience grace through others establishing spiritual friendships. Now, last week, we talked about this a lot. We talked about Anisiphorus and what he, how he encouraged Timothy. And at the end of the series, we're going to talk a lot again about the fact that we need to form spiritual friendships with people who can encourage us. But it's amazing how if we're open, other people can extend grace to us and we can experience the love of God and the grace he has for us through others. We need each other. We need each other. And we're going to talk, like I said, more about that in a few weeks. Now, I know some of you are freaking out right now because as I'm going through here, you're going, where are the blanks for these three things? <laughs> I've got you trained. Okay, I know that. You're looking for the blanks, right? I see you going back and forth, turning your pages over. What's, what's going on here today? Well, I just thought I would test your intelligence today and to see if you could figure it out. You know, there, you just make a space and write it down, those three things that I opened the Bible I establish connection and relationship, and I connect with others, okay? So that's how I experience the grace that he wants to fill me with. Next thing is this, on the, still on the front side of your notes. He says this. He says, you, you experience and grow in endurance when you resist distractions, when you resist distractions. So we're going to jump in with verse 3 now and continue on. So first he says, endure suffering with me. Well, that's not a good way to think. That's a positive thing, is it? So what he's saying is, guess what, Timothy? I'm enduring suffering, and now I'm inviting you into the same journey. 
And it's not even that he's inviting. It's a promise. You will endure suffering with me because of your love for Jesus. And you know, folks, I don't know exactly what's coming at us, exactly what culture is doing, exactly how things are going to play out, but I look at other parts of the world and people are enduring suffering for the name of Jesus. It may come our way. It may be Paul's words to us today as well. And he says this, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Why don't you go ahead and underline that? Soldiers don't get tied up. I'm going to come back and refer to that in just a little bit. For they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand these things. Would you underline that? The Lord will help you understand these things. So I'm saying Pastor Ron's going to help you to understand these things today. Listen to the Holy Spirit, and he's going to help you understand what it is that we're talking about in these verses. And he uses three analogies to get his points across, and all three are important. He's saying if you're going to endure, you must be focused, not distracted, focused in the same way that these three groups of people are focused. You must resist distractions that keep you from being the best soldier, the best athlete, and the best farmer you can be. So let's dig into these. You know, turn on the backside of your notes now. I did give you the blanks for these, okay? So there we go. We're going to cover these three analogies for a minute. First, being a soldier requires dedication. Being a soldier requires dedication. So what he said there is he said, don't be tied to the things. Don't be entangled by the things of this world but instead be dedicated like a good soldier would be. And uh, I just want to say this, just in passing here again, is first he said endure suffering, and then he says you know, that we should endure the troubles that come at us like a good soldier. Well, you know, soldiers are part of what? War. And so one of the things we need to realize is that we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. And so we should never be surprised when we take shots for our belief in Jesus. Just wouldn't be surprised that he allows that to happen, that we will take shots because we are soldiers of his. So he says, don't get tied up. And he's talking about don't get entangled in things that aren't soldier things, that aren't important to the mission, aren't important to the war and what we're trying to accomplish. Don't get tied up in the things that he says of, you know, outside of soldiering would be the things that the world wants us to focus on. Not bad things. He's just saying, don't get, make it be your focus. Don't make it be your number one desire. Things like your status or your success, or your approval, or your achievements, or your accomplishments, or your wealth, or your possessions, or your play, or your relationships. See, folks, there is so much that can distract us. So much. And he says, stay on your commander's objective. Now, Jesus Christ is our commander. And if we want to just boil down the objective that Jesus Christ has given us, here you go, let's boil it down. He said that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. He said that we should go into all the world and we should make disciples, baptizing those disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that we would teach those disciples to do all that he says. So those are our marching orders. Our commander has given us those orders, to go into the world and tell his story. And so what the principle we need to remember from a soldier is this, for a soldier without sacrifice, there will be no victory. Soldiers sacrifice, and without sacrifice, there will be no victory. 
Now, being an athlete requires discipline. Now, two aspects of discipline for an athlete I want to mention here, just to kind of help us to understand. The first aspect would be the discipline it requires in training to be able to perform at my highest level when the competition comes. So that's the first part, is the discipline where I'm training that I can be able to perform at my highest level when the competition comes. And so we talk a lot about discipline, and I know it's hard for some of us to hear because we're just anti-disciplinarians and really struggle with this issue, but the Bible's so clear that he wants us to be in training so that we can perform at our highest capacity when the competition comes. But the second part that he mentions here is that in order to be able to compete well and be disciplined, I need to be disciplined enough to know the rules, to know the game that I'm called to play in, so that as I'm playing the game, I'm not disqualified in some way. You know, in sports, the rules make the sport, right? Make the game. Uh, the thing about baseball that makes baseball work is that wherever I go in America and I go into a baseball field, uh, there are certain components that are the same wherever I go. The distance between the bases will be the same. The distance between the pitcher's mound and home plate will be the same. The fact that there are three strikes or four balls for every batter, the fact that there are nine innings in every game, three outs in every inning. If I was talking about football here, I'd talk about the fact that there's supposed to be a certain amount of pressure in every ball. Okay, so we got it. <laughs> and the rules of the game are so that everything isn't chaotic or subjective. And so Paul is saying, hey, guess what? There are certain rules that are necessary to follow if you're going to be able to endure as a family in unity together in the faith. And he's talking about living a life of integrity. Now, that's next week's message. Next week, we're talking about stronger character. So living a life of integrity, to be able to live a life where I'm living out the beliefs that I say I have in Jesus Christ. But it requires discipline if I'm going to be able to compete as an athlete. So the principle to kind of remember here about an athlete is this. Without discipline, there are no prizes. Without discipline, there are no awards. Don't receive those. Okay, farmer. Being a fire farmer requires diligence. It requires diligence. Now, my brother-in-law, Larry Flint, is my poster boy for the diligence it requires to be a farmer. Now, many days he posts pictures. I'm going to show you some. Now, this is out in the Oklahoma Panhandle where I'm from, and I miss these sites so much. Uh, you're saying, well, there's nothing on the horizon. <laughs> you're right. Uh, and so here, many days, my brother-in-law, Larry, will post pictures on Facebook. This one is of a sunrise. And then later, he'll post a picture on Facebook, and it'll be like, the next, these are all from him. This is a picture of a sunset. Now, if you think about this, how did my brother-in-law get pictures of a sunrise and a sunset unless he was actually there to see the sunrise and the sunset? That's the life of a farmer. A farmer's life is hard work and sweat, hard work and sweat to stay true to what it is that he has to do in order to scratch out a living from the dirt, to plant seeds so that he can have crops. See, farming requires consistency. Farming requires saying no to self and saying yes to hard work, just hard work. The life of a farmer has no chance, really, 
for glory or recognition, unless it comes time for the county fair, and you can take your big pumpkin in, and you know you get the prize for having the biggest pumpkin. You know, no, no farmer's ever been asked to do a conference on how to raise the biggest pumpkins. It just doesn't happen. So farmers just don't get notoriety. It's hard work done alone with the hope that a crop will come. And Paul is saying, if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, it requires persistence, focus, and dedication to do the work to plant, grow, and harvest. So you plant seeds of the gospel, you grow, you're part of that growing process, and then if God so blesses, you get to be part of the harvest as well. You let go of the outcome. The only thing you're in control of is what? To plant. And then to do what it takes to help the plants grow. But you're not in control of the harvest. You let go of that outcome. And what Paul is calling Timothy to do, and you and me as well, is that we would keep planting the seeds of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the fields of our world. That we'd keep sowing and investing in lives of people who don't know Jesus. So this week I was sitting at my desk and I was reading through the prayer requests as they pop through on Tuesday and are uh, from our people who uh, process all your prayer requests from Sunday. And, and I was thrilled to see, I was reading through these prayers and praying for them. I was thrilled to see that one of you, all of a sudden this prayer request pops up and one of you is praying for the same person that my family's been investing in for the last five years, four to five years. Praying for this lady, connecting with her, talking about faith stories, and all of a sudden, there's her name, and one of you are praying for her as well, and I was so encouraged because our job is to plant the seeds and to be about helping people experience the love of Jesus. So a farmer, here's the, here's the principle, is for a farmer, without diligence and sweat, there will be no harvest. Without diligence and sweat, there will be no harvest. So I have to resist distraction by being dedicated like a soldier, by being disciplined like an athlete, and then by being diligent like a farmer. So the last idea is this. I must, if I'm going to endure, I must recall what God is doing. I must recall what God is doing. Now, I told the first service that when I got to this part in my talk today, I thought, I really wish I hadn't said recall what God is doing. Now, in the next verse, you can see it says remember, so you can see where I got the recall word recall from. Here's a word I want to give you that I think actually fits better. Write it down if you would. Rehearse. I must rehearse what God is doing. The reason I think that is so relevant is that what we're called to do is continually rehearse the store, our story in our minds and our hearts and with others, the story of what Jesus has done for us and what he is doing in us so that we are encouraged by what he is doing because we can get so discouraged if we just look on the outside. Now, this is another reason I want to suggest to you why it's so important to sing. From the very first song today, we were rehearsing, rehearsing the glory of God. We were rehearsing the gospel of Jesus. We were rehearsing the power of him working. We were rehearsing his grace that he wants to pour over us. And then we sang that amazing song, I believe in the power of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ descended into darkness, and that he was raised from the dead. We're rehearsing, rehearsing what God is doing. Okay, let's read the verses. Verse 8. Always remember that Jesus Christ, the descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering. So here's the key. He's, he's, not, he's not in prison for any other reason. I am suffering because I preach the good news and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. Would you start, I just The word of God cannot be chained. Isn't that awesome? So Paul is saying, I'm chained. 
I may die, but the word of God can never be chained. The word of God is unbound. It gives us so much hope here, folks, that no matter what happens to me, that I'm not the one responsible, ultimately, that the good news gets spread, God's going to make sure it does because his word is not chained and it's unbound. And he says, therefore, I am willing to endure anything, anything, if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. So folks, I just say, never let your circumstances make you feel or let you feel that it's hopeless. Paul says, I'm suffering like a criminal, but even though I am chained, I believe that God's word is unbound. It will be spread. He will spread his word. And what, so what does God promise to be doing? Well, he's promised to be about the business of spreading his word in our world in some fashion so that everyone could hear, this is what we say about Twin Cities Church, that our mission is to make sure that at some point every person is able to hear a well-articulated presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and gets the respect to say yes or no. Every person. And that's God's call. That's what God is doing. Make sure every person gets to know the gospel of his son and gets to have the respect to say yes or no. And so what we're talking about is the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And so we can have hope. We can celebrate because Jesus is not in the tomb. As we sang about today, the tomb is empty. Jesus is the risen Savior. So here's what Paul's doing. Paul is in prison with his impending execution, and he's modeling for you and me how to stand with endurance, how to have a stronger endurance, because he's about to be executed, and even at this moment, he's still on mission. He's still on mission. And Paul knows that even after he's gone, that God is faithful and will keep proclaiming the good news. And then Paul ends this whole section with what experts say was actually a hymn of the early church, and he ends it this way and says this, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And then underline this, remind everyone about these things. Remind, he just goes on. He's finished the song there. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear him. So if I'm going to endure, I must be filled and rely on the grace that God gives. If I'm going to endure, I must resist distractions that would cause me to be weak, cause me to miss out on my mission. If I'm going to endure, I have to recall and rehearse over and over again the good news that I am a wretch, and an amazing grace saved me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible, it tells me so, and I trust the Bible to be true. So I want you to fill in this last blank, I want you to write this in, come put it this way, and we'll close. God's strength comes from whose we are, not who we are. Comes from whose we are, not what we do. God's strength comes from being his child, his son, or his daughter.
Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for these words, and I know it's sobering. At the same time, it's encouraging that we, um, you've called us to have courage, but you've also called us to endure, to carry on. And Father, I thank you so much that you talked clearly about the fact that there would be hardship. Let us never say the opposite, that we would always just be real clear about being a follower of Jesus is not easy. Being a follower of Jesus may even lead to persecution, ridicule, rejection. It could even lead to death. And I just thank you so much that there is such encouragement in your word that we are able to receive from the writings of Paul as he wrote to Timothy. And now, 2,000 years later, we see the church still thriving, still surviving because of grace. And I pray that you would fill each of us now, that you would inspire us about our discomfort we have at being ridiculed or excluded, made fun of because of our faith. We trust you with that today. We would know that we're not responsible for the people around us. We're responsible for ourselves. And Jesus, because once again this week, we've talked so clearly about the good news, the gospel. I just want to give you a chance. If you've never said yes to Jesus, that today you could. And you can pray in your mind these words, Jesus, as much as I understand it, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe you were placed in a grave. I believe you were raised from the dead. I believe that you live with the Father in heaven. And I believe that you've asked me to receive you and your forgiveness and your cleansing and your renewal and your purpose for my life. Help me to know how to walk with you. And God, I pray for us as a church, that as a church that we would never get tired, never get weary with spreading the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ to our world and our community because it is the only thing that will change our world. Help us to be people of grace and love as Jesus was when he walked the face of the earth. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.